0: Psalm 23, I'm going to read it again, and um, we'll go from there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, and he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That enough is to say amen. (laughs) Um, A lot of people teach on Psalm 23. We're very familiar with it. I'm sure if you're not, then uh, praise the Lord. We'll It's a good psalm, and to see it it and taste it for the first time is good. And it starts out with our shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord, the Lord Jehovah. And David's acknowledging Jehovah, the creator of heaven and earth, in all of his glory, and that's his Lord. And then he says, my shepherd. The first mention of shepherd in the Bible is Abel. If you remember in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Um, and uh, Adam already was raising animals. Adam had uh, charge over all the beasts of the field in Genesis 1, Then Noah and his sons and Abram and Isaac and Jacob, they all had sheep. And uh, we're told even when the children of Israel went to captivity in in, uh, Egypt that uh, they kept sheep there. In fact, the Egyptians didn't care for it, and so they booted them out and sent them out to the land of Goshen, Um, But the descendants of Abraham, the Hebrews, all the way down through the Old Testament, are known as keepers of sheep. And um, though Abraham also had other animals, camels, cattle, donkeys. But David uh, was a young shepherd boy in the pasture fields uh, of his father, Jesse, around Bethlehem. If you want to turn to 1 Samuel 16, um, when Samuel went to anoint the king to replace Saul. God had passed over all the elder sons of Jesse to the young shepherd boy. Why? And we start to see a little bit of what the Lord's talking about in Psalm 23. In verse 7 alone, we'll just read that one. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him, and he's talking about his older brothers. Um, be, don't look at his outward appearance, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know if you want to uh, flip to Second Samuel chapter seven, the Lord delivered him, uh, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. It's 1 Samuel, still just chapter 17. God looks at the heart. One more uh, attribute of just the next page. 33 through 37. When David went and uh, was in the house of Saul, um, and he became uh, Saul's armor bearer, and Goliath is threatening um, you know, David says, who's this uncircumcised that's, you know, blaspheming the God of Israel? And um, so he says, Saul, I'll go out there. And Saul says, well, you're just a boy. Well, verse 33, Saul said to Devin, you're not David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Well, go and the Lord be with you. Now if you go to Second Samuel. The Lord delivered him from the lions and the bears. Good training for the one who is going to be king of Israel and the shepherd of God's people in Israel. Because he had the heart of a shepherd. A heart that would go after that one that got lost, putting his own life in danger. To save that one. In Second uh, Samuel 7, verses 6 through 9. When God reminds David makes his covenant with him. Why did God choose him? He says, For I have not dwelt in the house since the time I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. David had wanted to build God a tabernacle because he had built himself a house, and he was uh, wanting to bless the Lord and build him, But he, the Lord says, I haven't dwelt in a house. Wherever I have moved about with the, all the children of Israel, I have, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus, says, um, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be a ruler over my people, Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are in the earth. God had proved himself to David. He was a shepherd boy. He was with him when he was able to take that lamb back from the lion, take that lamb back from the bear. He writes Psalm twenty three full of that love and that loyalty to the God who was with him when he was a shepherd boy. You know, his hand was over his life, just like David's hand uh, is over the children of Israel now, but also just like the Lord is over um, him in his life. God created sheep in the way he intended them to be created. They have characteristics and traits that are It's uncanny the parallels to a Christian in their walk with the Lord. Um, The character of our good shepherd is in the shepherd of the flock, the sheep. Now, Jesus is our Lord and shepherd. And Psalm 23 says, I shall not want. Now, to not want is a couple of things. It means you're not deficient, you're not lacking. As, it, as a sheep, it means he's in the proper care and he's well-managed by the shepherd. But it also describes contentment. And contentment is sufficiency, a condition of no need for aid. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8 says, God is able to make all grace, all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And uh, that word contentment is that same word used. I shall not want, I'll be content. Now those that live a godly life are also going to suffer persecution. So we may feel like we're lacking uh, when it comes to things that we have to endure. David had plenty of trouble. He, was, uh, he had enemies. King Saul used to chase him around the countryside when he was jealous of what David was accomplishing in the Lord. David had psalms he wrote where he went through the dark night of the soul, where he was despairing of life itself. He had his own sin. He had his own failures. He had hardship. He had anguish of the soul, it says. Some of his psalms describe that he would not even make it through the night. He was pretty sure he was not going to make it through the night. Some of the psalms he wrote. Um, so will we as his disciples. John sixteen thirty three says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you have, may have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We're going to have tribulation as well. We may lack for good things that we think we should have, but he knows what we truly need. Um, things that are for our good in this life, and for the, the most importantly, really in preparation for his kingdom to come, and whom he is preparing us for, um, really only a, a Christian that puts his life in the hands of the good shepherd will really have contentment. If we're not putting our lives in his hands and trusting him, you know, we're we're going to be worried about what's coming next. We're going to be trying to scramble to make sure we got enough. And um, what did he say? You know, he said, uh, cast your cares on him for his burden is light. It's a blessing and a pleasure to our Savior to provide for us so that we are content in him. You know, um, he knows us. And we know whom we have trusted. Um, He's the one that cares for us. We can rest in him. We can abide in him. Um, If Jesus makes you free... Then you're free indeed. Now contrast this. There's really nothing more um, burdensome or grievous than criticism and complaining, and the one who's trying to provide, if all they're hearing is complaining and lack of gratitude, well, that's grievous. You know, as as any parent or as the head of the household, and you're trying to provide, and all you hear is criticism and complaining, it just grieves your heart and uh same for the lord it 's a blessing to him when we 're content and when we 're grateful for what he 's given us and most importantly, eternal life, whatever we 're going through in this life it 's very tempting to to wonder why lord what what 's going on and and we want to uh, you know it boils down to bringing our petitions before him we 're not complaining, but uh, there are times when we just want to why are you doing it this way, Lord, and we want to take charge of what 's going on and and it becomes a criticism. He does provide for us. You should never be shy about praising the Lord for everything, even the little things. Um, we're to be grateful. We're, we're to come before his presence with gratitude. Some would say there's, uh, that wealth is a true sign of contentment, God's provision for us. But Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 that those that say they're rich, they're really wretched, you know, blind, pitiful, poor, and naked. Because God looks not on the outward, but he looks on the hearts. That really, that's what really matters. Many have religion, but few have a relationship. Jesus wants us to know him and know our shepherd. Be able to put our trust in him. And um, some are going to be you know, there's many throughout the Bible that are considered false teachers, false prophets. Those that say they are believers, but they're not. Um, Some came to Jesus describing their great works. He said he never knew them. Some had no oil in their lamps when he showed up. And he came. They were caught off guard, not ready, and they were left outside. How do we know that we're in the flock of the good Shepherd? Well, it starts by the door that you used to get in. If you want to turn to John 9. Jesus had healed the blind man. And when they brought him to the Pharisees, well, they didn't believe him until they brought his parents in, saying that he indeed was blind from birth. When the Pharisees said, well, only a sinner is going to heal on the Sabbath. He can't break the Sabbath, talking about Jesus. And they wanted to know who healed him. But this guy, all he knows is, I was blind, and now I see. And only a man of God would be able to do this miracle. Well, they can't handle that, so they kick the guy out. And Jesus goes and finds him. And look at what he says in verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and he said, Who is he? Lord, that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who was talking with you. Now when he first saw him is when he first opened his eyes. There was the man who healed him. So that's who you saw, and now that's who you're talking to. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those that see may be blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, Look at this. If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. That's such a good, important truth. Because, you know, we, we want to think that we have all the religion and all everything in order and our liturgy and our, and our creeds in order. And that way we're doing what we're supposed to do and we think we've got it right. But, you know, he wants us to know him. He wants us to see him and know that we, we're blind and naked until we come to him. Some claim to know everything about the Lord, and yet they don't know the Lord. They think they can see, and yet they're blind. And in the next chapter, Jesus says, verse 1, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up by some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. But they did not understand the things which he spoke to him. And then Jesus said to them, again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, I'm going to read a couple more verses, but that phrase, I am, if you haven't done it yet, it's a good exercise, but just a blessing to read through the Gospel of John and just take a notebook and write down everything that he says about himself, specifically what are the I am statements when he says, I am the door. And he says, um, All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. One of the I am statements. Um, when you believe him, he says, and when you you know he asks the one that he healed, he says, then you know who you have the right door. He, he believes and he has the right door. So are you in the flock? Well, are you using the right door? Are you coming to the Lord? Because he's the door through him and not through any of your own works. Not coming in to scope the you know, thieves and robbers and, and uh, those that would harm the flock. Are you here just to get what you can get out of it? Or are you here because you know, he saved you from your sins? And he's the one that provided salvation for you. He's the one that died on the cross for you. So many look to scripture just to support their own denominational doctrines and religious traditions. Rather than to just know their creator and know his voice. I don't want a liturgy. I don't want a creed. I want to know him. I want to know his voice. Well, how do we know his voice? At his word, all things in heaven and earth were created. At his voice, all the mountains shake and melt. At his voice, one day the heavens will be rolled up like a scroll, and the elements will be dissolved with a great noise. And at his voice, anything that can be shaken will be shaken. But when God spoke to Elijah... He had run from Jezebel and, and was hiding in the cave. Um, first a great wind came, a wind that could split the rocks came, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then a great earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then a great fire came, causing all kinds of carnage, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then a still small voice came, and that's what drew Elijah out of the cave. And so God could tell him where to go, what to do. God can handle Jezebel. God can send a wind that can split boulders. He can certainly handle that. But what is it that drew Elijah out of that cave? It was a still, small voice. The voice he knew, the voice of the shepherd of Israel. Now if you want to turn to John. Well, don't turn there. I'm just going to read it. Um, How do we know the voice of the Lord? John 14 25 and 26 says, Jesus says the Father will send a helper and the the Holy Spirit. And he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that Jesus said. Well, everything that Jesus said, what were we doing here this morning? Well, we're getting into the Word. We're getting into the Bible. We're reading his words. When we study God's Word, keeping the passages in their context, and take it to heart, then he will bring it to mind at the times we need it. In situations that we need it. The more sensitive you are to that, and, and listening for the Lord to bring Lord. What was that verse? I'm trying to talk to my neighbor. I'm um, going through this really tough time, Lord. Bring to mind your word. That's his voice when he brings these, these things to mind. And it'll never uh, contradict his word. It'll never contradict the word of God. The more sensitive you are to that, and willing to be led by it, the more you're going to know his voice. His voice is a comfort when you're wrestling with something. His voice is a guide when you're making decisions. It's a promise of peace. It's a promise of comfort, Um, not of trouble, just like Elijah. James 3.17 says the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. We also need to know the difference between conviction and condemnation. Because, you know, there's, you're going to hear other things come into your heart. A lot of times the, the laying of guilt trips on people. Um, people do it to each other, but there's times when our enemy comes in and wants to discourage us. And there will be a condemnation that comes over us. But at the same time, uh, from John 16.8, what does he say about the Holy Spirit? When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When we need correction, then we're under conviction. But it's not the same as condemnation. Hebrews 12.11 says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And Psalm 23.4 says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is for discipline. It's, the staff has a hook on the end. It's meant to reach out and pull us back from the edge of danger. Sheep tend to wander. We're prone to wander. You know, we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We sing that song. And you all know it's true of yourselves. You know, We are prone to wander. It's, it's, uh, we wake up every morning, what does Paul say? Take up your cross and follow the Lord. Or the Lord says, take up your cross and follow me. And um, it's because we're first thing off in the morning is we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. This is so much like sheep. Um, we need his rod. Because we start wandering off, you know, he'll use the rod if necessary to remind us we've got to get back to the flock. Now, because of that, you know, we may need to be reminded to get back in the fold. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is always going to draw you back to him. It may not be pleasant, but it's always going to be a comfort to know that he still loves you. He's still watching out for you. Um, condemnation is when you're thinking, "No, nope, nope, I'm shot. I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm going as far away from here and far away from the Lord as I can. That's condemnation. That's not coming from the Lord. That's coming from your enemy who's trying to bury you, who's trying to bring you under such a heavy thing. And we do go through dark nights of the soul, and there's times we may, we may not be hearing from the Lord. And we need to be patient. We need to wait. But it draws us close to him. And um, so condemnation, it pushes you away, makes you feel like you want to leave. It does not come from the shepherd who loves you. It comes from the enemy who wants to deceive you about who Jesus is. He tries to portray him as a cruel master, cruel shepherd that would cast you away forever at your first mistake. That's condemnation. That's not the Lord. What I need to hear is that he will never leave me. And he'll never forsake me. And the voice of our shepherd is a comfort to us when we hear his voice. We know he is always here for our protection and provision. Moving on in John verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Another one of the I am statements. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, in other words, he's not the owner of the sheep. He who is not the shepherd... The one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters the rest of them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling. He does not care about the sheep. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And notice this, I am known by my sheep, by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life. Jesus makes the contrast here. A good shepherd and a hireling, and who his sheep are and who are not his sheep. A good shepherd lays down his own life for the flock. Remember David went after the bear and the lion to rescue him? And there was certainly a risk there. You know, you pull that little lamb out of a, out of a mouth of a lion, well, he's coming for you next. And David said he had to rise up and kill him. These sheep are his life, and we are the Lord's life. You know, He gave his life for us. The hireling is not the owner. For him it's just a job. The hireling runs for life in the face of danger and leaves the sheep for the wolves. He does not care about the sheep. Yesterday at men's prayer, I wasn't even thinking of this when I was preparing, but Ezekiel 34, if you want to turn there, was such a blessing to read through this. and It's such a, it's such a perfect contrast to exactly what the difference is between a good shepherd and a hireling. Or one that's just couldn't care less about the sheep. And there's also characteristics here about who is a sheep and who is not. And so chapter 34 in Ezekiel 1 through 16. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and he became and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. And this is in reference chapter 34 of Ezekiel, is starting to build up to chapter 35 and on through 36, 37, 38, and 39. And we know and are familiar with that because and those are the chapters that talk about the Ezekiel 38-39 war which is yet future but it's on the maps right now as we speak I don't know what the Lord's going to do or who he's going to raise up in that situation from Gog and Magog uh, with the guy that's over there now, who you're familiar just invaded Ukraine, well he's getting beat and he hasn't maybe brought out the biggest of his big guns yet but can you imagine that kind of fury, that kind of humiliation and that kind of embarrassment, what's What's going to trigger him? And then now look at how Persia, which is Iran, is building up and threatening and going after uh, every possible way through their, their tentacles, through the uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, to come into Israel. And uh, this is Ezekiel 38, 39. God, Magog, Tubal and Meshech is Russia. Anyways, to get off the point, this is leading up to that point. And the Lord's saying they were scattered throughout the mountains, in verse 6, on every high hill. And, and uh, as we keep reading, Therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became prey, and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and did Not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherd, hear the words of the Lord, the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep, I'll seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day that he is among his scattered sheep. And so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the far countries. And I will bring them to their own land. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, in all the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. And they shall lie down in in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. The ones that got fat and strong by feeding off of their fellow sheep and those shepherds that were feeding off of the sheep. You know, Psalm 23, you look at this, it sounds kind of prophetic, doesn't it? I think, in fact, you know, when the Lord starts to un- unfold His word through all eternity for us and how every, every dotting of the I and crossing the T had meaning and had prophecy, Jesus said every bit of it's going to be fulfilled. It sure looks to me like Psalm 23 is an awful lot like Ezekiel 34, and then the following chapters when He brings back His people. But it's the heart of the Lord that we want to see more than anything else. Um, He's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. If we turn to John 10, but keep your finger in Ezekiel, we're going to come back there in a little bit. But John 10, again, picking up verse 15 through 18. He is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep and are known by his own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them I must also bring in. They will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know who he's talking about there? Me and you. The ones that are going to hear his voice, like you did, and you responded, and you put your trust and your faith in him. These are the sheep that he's talking about right here. I have other sheep. I'll bring them in. He's speaking of the Gentiles. He's speaking of the church age. And he says, they will become one. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Just like David, uh, who ruled or uh, was a shepherd of the sheep, would lay down his life. But here the Lord says, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. And I have power to take it again. But this command I received from my father. The Lord only did what he was asked to do. God said that David was a man after God's own heart. His willingness to lay down his life for the sheep. And that was lost. Just like our Savior who came after each and every one of us. And we were lost. And he took us out of the jaws of that Lying and out of that bear. Well, what, what jaws were you in before you got saved? I mean, where, you know, how, what was your situation? Whatever life had brought you or whatever trouble you'd gotten yourself in, do you think you would have lived too much longer? Or do you think it would have been something that would have brought you to his kingdom? Well, we were, we were hell-bound before he came to us, and literally hell-bound. And until he came, until he took us out of that slavery, he took us out of the jaws of that which had taken us captive. And that's his nature. That's his love for us. God was a man after David's, or David was a man after God's own heart in that way, willingness to lay down his life for the sheep. Picking it up in 20, verse 22 and 23 uh, through 30, it says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem. It was winter. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I and my Father am one. You know, you're in God's hands and you're in Jesus' hands. Nobody's going to get you out of there. And we're his sheep. We belong to him. We know his voice. That when you study his word and the Lord brings it to mind. Remember the guys coming back after the Lord had risen. And they're coming back on the road to Emmaus. And they're walking along talking about all the stuff that happens. And the Lord comes up and he's, he's asking, well, what's going on? And they begin to tell him, where, where have you been that you don't know? What's been going on? And then he opens their eyes. He begins to reveal from the word all the things that were fulfilled in him. He opened their eyes. That's the voice. That's the voice we want to hear is when his word comes to mind. And our hearts, what happened to them? Their hearts burned within them. Our hearts burn within us when we hear his word. If God is for us, who can be against us? Neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers or any created thing that can snatch us out of their hands. Um, back to Psalm 23, verse 2. <laughs> It'll go a little quicker now. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and leads me beside still waters. Sheep are easily unsettled. Sheep are easily, easily spooked. It takes certain conditions for sheep to be at rest. Um, real rest uh, can only really come when they're, fear, when they're free from fear, friction, uh, irritation, and hunger and thirst. You know, if you're hungry, you're going to be wandering around looking for where to find water, where to find grass. You're not going to rest. He makes them to lie down. You're not going to get a sheep to lie down. They're going to be up and at it if there's any threat, if there's any kind of fear, any kind of irritation. The first one is fear. We live in a fallen world. The dangers and threats are out there, but we are his sheep. We have put ourselves in his care. It's the responsibility of him, our good shepherd, to provide the conditions that allow us to rest. Psalm 4 if you go there uh, back a few pages it says hear me when i call o god of my righteousness you have relieved me in my distress have mercy on me and hear my prayer how long o you sons of men will you turn my glory to shame how long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood selah but know that the lord has set apart for himself him who is godly The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us that uh, you have put gladness in my heart more than in the uh, season that their grain and their wine increased. And I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, Lord, have made me to dwell in safety. And the Lord He takes such pleasure. It's so satisfying to him to bring us to that place where we can rest. And so you can imagine how, you know, he, that's what he desires. And when we're not, well, we're not really where he desires us to be. Certain conditions have to be met, you know, these days, the news is framed in such a way as to make you anxious and even paranoid. And the alternative news that's also popular today is many times worse because they're just trying to get you going so that they'll, you'll buy their supplements and you'll buy their devices and you'll buy their survival gear and all of that. The more afraid you are, the more you're going to overreact, and then you're under their influence and their control. They can get you to do whatever they want because they've got you panicked. Panics quickly spreads through a flock. One startled sheep can send the whole bunch of them running. And that's all too often how it goes. Something will go through the, the church or through the body of Christ. Oh no, this is going to happen. And all of a sudden everybody's going, oh no, look at that. This is going to happen. And it's so true. One sheep all of a sudden starts something going and, and everybody's just afraid and they're, they're on edge. They're not resting. But the flock of the good shepherd are settled. The main reason? Well because he's there with them. If, if the sheep don't see the shepherd, well then they're going to be you know, nervous. Where, where do you go? We're not hearing his voice. We can't see him, you know, and they get restless. Um, a good shepherd's going to pr- provide that protection and the right conditions for his, his flock to, to rest and they learn to trust him and rely on him so that they can finally stop being afraid the sooner we do trust him, the sooner we do settle our hearts and trusting him, the sooner we will be free from fear. Um, there's a good shepherd will even sleep with his flock um, if, if he knows there's going to be any threat in the area. He's watchful. He's the first to check on them first thing in the morning. Turn to Psalm 121. Says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes mine help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade at your right hand. And the sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forward and forevermore. If you have any room on your refrigerator, that's another good one to put there. And again, like I was saying Wednesday night, you know why you do that, because when you're going to the fridge for food, then you get a little spiritual food first before you open the door. What do we lift our eyes to? Always watching out the latest threat to our freedom? Or do we look to our Good Shepherd who has made us free for all eternity? He makes us free, we're free indeed. When, when you bring somebody to the Lord, is it, you know, it's so that they can have forgiveness, so that they can have salvation uh, from their sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. So they can rejoice in their salvation like we do. So they can have peace with God and they can have the peace of God so that they can be free from worry and anxiety and rest in his provision for their lives and rest in that eternal hope for life. It's his loving kindness that draws us to repentance. It's not trying to rattle something at somebody so that they're so stirred up that they have no place to turn and then you think you've done your job. Well, that may be the Holy Spirit's job to make everything about their lives empty so that they finally turn to him. But what are we? We're the ones, the ambassadors. We're the ones that are bringing his provision to them the knowledge of the gospel it's often in the midst of those worst days of our lives that we call on the Lord that we turn to him but it's because we're drawn to his his mercy we're drawn to his love the forgiveness the salvation the companionship the fellowship we find safety we find peace we find rest we find the promise of joy we find gladness we find goodness God gives us His peace. We have the peace of God. It's not fear, it's not panic. It's not uh, you know paranoia over what's going on in the world with the latest conspiracy. Fear is a bad motivation. It's a motivation, no doubt. I mean, evolution tells you that's the only reason there's evolution is because they adapted for fear, self-preservation, survival of the fittest. But that's a bad motivation. Love is God's motivation. For the things we do, it would be for the motivation of our love for him and the love that we have for one another. The next thing that keeps us from rest is friction. Friction within the flock. Jesus said, you know, if you have a problem in your heart with your brother or your sister, go to them and get it right. James said the reason they fight and quarrel amongst themselves is because they lust and covet, so they fight and devour one another. Um, the Word says this is the kind of thing that can hinder our prayers. This is the kind of thing that can keep you from approaching the Lord. How are we going to lie down and rest in green pastures if we have to always be on guard and defend ourselves from some uh, accusation or or some rumor or or, uh, being made nervous, anxious, walking on eggshells in the place where we came to get refuge, find rest and food in the Lord? just like our homes ought to be. We should not have to defend ourselves from constant criticism and complaint. And this is for all of us. I'm not talking about the church and the ministry. It kind of sounds like that, but that's not it at all. It's the idea of where we are, where we all come to find that refuge in the Lord. Um, you know, there are those among the flock that do want to dominate and bully and take advantage of weaker sheep. If you still got your hand in Ezekiel, um, Chapter 34, now picking it up in 17. He's talked about the shepherds that were not good shepherds because they only cared about themselves. Now he's talking about the sheep and amongst themselves. As for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I shall judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats, Is it too little for you to have eaten up the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pasture and to have drunk the clear waters that you must foul them the residue with your feet? And as for my flock, they eat what you've trampled with your feet and they drink what you have fouled with their feet. Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat and the lean sheep because you have pushed with the side shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns. And scattered them abroad, therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, maybe Psalm 23 is prophetic, and they shall feed him, feed them, and, they, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them, and cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safe, safely in the wilderness and sheep in the woods. I will make and I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down on their seas, and they shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bands of their yoke, and delivered them from the hand of those who enslave them. And they shall no longer be a prey for the nations, nor shall beasts of the land devour them. But they shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will rise up for them, a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land, or bear the shame of the Gentiles any more. Thus he shall know that I am the Lord their God, I am with them, and they are the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord. We are his flock. He is our God. The next thing that keeps us from rest is hunger and thirst. If we allow him, he will lead us to food and drink that feeds and waters our souls. Wednesday night, we're studying Melchizedek when he went out to meet Abraham after Abraham had slaughtered these kings that took off with Lot. You know, Melchizedek brought out bread and wine, a testimony, really, to, to, to uh, the cross of Christ. Jesus said it was necessary for his disciples to partake of his body and his blood. And we do. We need to partake of him in that our life as a believer begins at the cross where his body was broken, and his blood was shed for the remission of sins. He also feeds us with the water of his word. If a sheep is hungry and thirsty, it's unhealthy. They're restless. They're looking for food and water. They become sickly. They will not reproduce. The word is our food, and the water of life, which washes us and quenches our thirsty souls. And often only watered, only, uh, often the only water sheep will find is the dew on the grass in the morning. You, know, you Oftentimes you'll see sheep are dwelling in the desert or in barely any kind of uh, foliage at all. Well, they're up early, and they're, they're going out, and they're eating the, the, what grass there is, but it's full of dew. And that sometimes is, they can go months uh, without uh, water if they're able to get up early. And it's such a picture for us when we get up to get the water of the word. Start, start the, your day early with the Lord. Maybe you get up early and maybe you get up with your alarm clock and it's go, go, go. Well, you know, sometimes you can't sleep or maybe you're up a little early. First thing is to get into the Word and He waters our soul for the day. Early in the morning will I rise to greet thee, He says. Um, you know, and then He says, it's a picture for us. Um, in John 7, if you want to turn there, People are thirsty. The world is thirsty. The world is hungry. They might not know it. Once you start showing them the water that you have, the life that you have, the goodness that God has been in your life, it's not necessarily going to be a, a having to do with things and stuff, but it's going to have a lot to do with that peace that's in your heart, that calm that you have. In John 7, just 37 and 39 uh, through 39, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But notice he spoke this concerning the Spirit. "...whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified." Out of our lives, he says, will flow living water, rivers of living water. I think the word flow there is along the lines of gush, along the lines of you're not going to hold it back real easy. Spiritually healthy sheep will reproduce, and they'll be faithful in their lives and draw others to Christ. They'll be fruitful in their lives. They'll draw others to Christ. They see that you are in the care of a good shepherd, it makes them jealous. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. Our lives should be a testimony. You know, they can, they can see if you know the Lord, and they can see if not. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The world is thirsty. The world is hungry. And those that are willing to acknowledge it, if you have that water, they're going to want it. Um, Psalm 23, verse 3, says, He restores my soul. But turn to Psalm 42. David was no stranger to difficulty. Like all of us, he had his troubles. In the first three verses, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food all day and all night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? David's in a situation where all those that are around him are mocking him. and We're going to read. It's actually in the midst of people he used to worship with. And, uh, but he, here he is in that situation. Verse 4, When I remember these things... I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why do you dis, are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast within me. Therefore I, for I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, From the hill Mizar and deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. And your waves have billows, waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As the breaking of my bones, the enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why have you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him and help the help of my countenance and my God. Boy, you know, you wish you could hear the actual music that he put this to, because right at the end he put something in there, just hope in God. After all of that, God does restore our soul when we put our hope in him. But when sheep Sit down or lie down in the field, and they got the big, full, full bunch of wool on them. And they lie down, and if they roll a little bit too far, they'll flip over right on their back, and they can't get up. They got the wool; it's all holding them, and it's a pathetic sight. They're sitting there, kicking in the air. They are completely helpless, and they will die. This picture is perfect for us, because by our own strength, we cannot do nothing. Like when sheep are kicking, and their legs in the air, so are we. And we're stuck. We lost our footing. Whatever circumstance or snare we stumbled into, left to ourselves, our lives are at risk, we'll get cast down. That's the word cast, they call it. When a sheep ends up on its back, they say the sheep is cast or cast down. But even our souls, if sin turns our hearts completely away from the Lord, if we're left to ourselves, we are at risk. And it has to be God who restores us. And it's to all his glory that he watches over us and he rescues us. Um, Verse 3, in the second part, it says he leads us in the paths of righteousness. It's less likely to be cast down when we follow his path. Our tendency is to keep in the same paths that we've always been in. Uh, over and over and over. We're, we're used to it. It's familiar. It doesn't cause us any discomfort. But then it becomes ruts and erodes. And pretty soon the rains come and wash them out. And pretty soon the entire field is destroyed because they stayed in the same paths. Some tend to follow their pet doctrines and their denominational liturgies maybe taken from Scripture, but they don't turn back to Scripture to know the Lord to look at all of Scripture, to have a full life and a full relationship with the Lord. Because all of Scripture is is God-breathed. And it's all good for our edification. Not just one little pet thing that you want to hang on to and put that blanket over the rest of Scripture. And you never... You know, the Lord said the volume of the book uh, speaks of me to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. And he will be found everywhere in Scripture... And until you, it's real easy to get off track if you pull out one verse and you you camp there for your whole walk because there's a balance many times. Certainly the gospel is clear. Certainly the main things of doctrine are clear. But sometimes you can get really sidetracked and you're no good to anybody because all you can do is sit on that that one horse and and, uh, that's all you ever, you know, like they say, playing a one-string guitar. Our relationship always has to grow, has to get deeper, richer as we follow him and we start grazing in new fields so that we don't wear down these ruts. He'll lead us and take us to areas, not, not new doctrine in the scripture. I'm not making that you know, error there, but it would be that he gives us fresh um, fresh things. Uh, going through the entire, entire Bible and continuing in it will bring refreshment and correction because his mercy is without end and his word's eternal. His word's alive. His word gives life. You know, each day is a new day. And uh, he has something new for us every day. So he says, you know, seek him in the morning. Seek him early. Verse 4 says, I will, ne- I will fear no evil. Uh, in Psalm 23, we talked about David's troubles and sometimes even unto death. The greatest fear for the unsaved person is the fear of death. Um, Some say otherwise, but really even when uh, Satan went before the Lord talking about Job, he says, you know, touch a man's life and he'll surrender everything that he has to save his own life. Not for the believer. Well, we know God saved Daniel from the lion's den. He saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. He saved Paul when he got bit by a snake. He's able to save. He's able to pull out of that uh, desperation. But we also know that many have a testimony that they did die for their testimony of Jesus. And, you know, when we're talking about sharing the gospel at Men's Prayer Meeting yesterday, our responsibility over you know, sharing the gospel and, you know, how to, to understand that, that balance and all. It's not always going to be uh, comfortable. You're reading from Ezekiel 33, those that were called, given the word of the Lord, he held them responsible to give, them the, give people the word. If the people didn't harden or if the people didn't respond, well, that's on the people. But if you didn't go tell them, well, that's on you. And many would use that as a condemnation for some, you know, we're not out there witnessing enough or doing that. Well, we should. It is. He has given us his word. And so when the opportunity arises, and I'm sure every one of us would, as the Lord provides opportunity. um, But it should be as led by God as he enables us. It may not be comfortable, but it should not be fearful. If you look to, to Matthew 10, you know, we shouldn't be afraid of evil. We shouldn't be afraid of, of what they can do to harm us or maybe if we'll, we'll be embarrassed or somehow caught up in our words um, the Lord will bring to mind remember we hear that still small voice he brings to mind his word so, uh, Matthew 10 just 27 through 31 says whatever I tell you in the dark speak in the light whatever you hear in the ear Preach on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But he's not talking about an ungodly fear. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very heads of your head, the very hairs of your head, are all numbered, do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man brings a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe." Romans 8:15 says, "For ye have not received a spirit of bondage, bondage. Again, to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption wherein we can cry, "Abba Father, no more fear, we're just coming to dad." Abba means daddy in in the Hebrew. Abba, Father, Lord, we're coming to you. We have no fear. Verse 5, it says he provides for us even with all the enemies around. He sets a table before us in the midst of our enemies. And it's a table of plenty. And he talks about being anointed with oil. And it's it's symbolic always uh, in Scripture. Oil is symbolic of of uh, the Holy Spirit being poured over his head, just shows again how God keeps our thoughts in the things of the Spirit and not in the threats all around us. He anoints our heads with oil. But it's also, David was anointed with oil by Samuel when he was called. And that anointing that David's talking about in 23 is, the Lord anointed me. You know, I have confidence knowing that God is the one who established him And made him king. And he has that confidence and that conviction that he's been anointed. And it's the same for us, true. We have the Holy Spirit. Uh, He's provided us with everything, but he's also sealed us and put inside of us his Holy Spirit. We should have that confidence. We can have that conviction knowing that he sets a table in front of us before all of our enemies. You know, a good shepherd provides everything of his sheep. And even to the point of overflowing even to the point where Jesus said, out of your lives will go living waters. It will gush his cup, overflowing. That's the indwelling by the Holy Spirit inside of us. And in verse 6, back in Psalm 23, for our final verses, just a, it's an amen all by itself. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You can bank on it. That's the Lord you can turn to, no matter what you find yourself into. A good and merciful Lord God. In all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a bright and incredible future. Everything we need in this life, and to dwell with him in eternity, in the house of the Lord forever, in eternity, in the care and the love of our good shepherd. And that's Psalm 23. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy for us. Thank you for that bright hope, that incredible hope that we have of eternity with you as we'll get to know you for eternity, that you're our good shepherd. And Lord, thank you for for letting us hear your still small voice and for letting us be able to draw close to you and come out, even in the midst of all the, the threats of the enemy around, Lord, we can have confidence, we can have comfort. So, Lord, please, I pray, put these things in our hearts and minds. You go with us today and you go, go with us through the week to share with others and, and just share that water, that living water, with a, a lost world that's thirsty. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.